many of you in here have ever knowingly been in a spiritual attack? Like you knew it was a spirit, it, and maybe you didn't for a while. You know, I remember in my life as I as I went, you know, started in ministry, and it, early on I didn't recognize a genuine spiritual attack, and sometimes I wondered what was happening. Why did I feel the way I did? What was this darkness that was kind of hovering over me? And you know, you'd try to maybe outrun it or outperform it. You know, well, I'll just try harder, and and you didn't really understand what was happening. But as you mature in the faith and you start to learn kind of how the enemy works and you start to recognize those spiritual attacks, you start to understand just how important it is to know that that's what it is. Because Satan can knock us off track. He can he can poison our minds. He can manipulate our emotions. He can lead us down a path of destruction without us really knowing that it's him. Spiritual battles in this world are very, very real. Now, this type of spiritual battle that we're going to talk about today, and we'll see in Nehemiah 6, Satan doesn't use them like constantly. Because this one, this is kind of his specialty. And I believe he doesn't need to use them as often, you know, as, he, as we think, because many times he'll use the the tactics that we've seen earlier in Nehemiah to get us to kind of just destroy ourselves. You know, he doesn't have to pull out all the stops if he can just, you know, do one thing and get us to be afraid and then we quit. Well, you know, we kind of did the work for him. But when we learn to stand up to that fear, to stand up to that discouragement, when we learn to continue moving forward despite the chaos around us, that's when Satan has to go to a new level in his battle against us. And the spiritual battle really does begin. And it's important that we understand how it works. And so we're going to look today in Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, beginning in uh, verse 1, going to verse 14, because we'll see that the spiritual battle is on. Uh, it, it takes a definite change in tone, uh, actions change, the what they have to, you know, discernment, everything that they see, it suddenly becomes very different uh, in, in tone and tenor. And so look with me in chapter 6. It says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. 
Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehedabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so, that, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So as I said, they, they changed tactics. Why? Because they're almost finished. They have built the wall now. He says there are no more gaps. There are no more holes. Everything has happened. And all that's left to do is to set the gates. Put the doors in and this thing is finished. And now these guys send a letter and say, hey, you know what? Let's just talk. You want to talk? Why don't you come up and meet us and let's just talk about what's going on here. Now, remember, who are these guys? They're the same ones who threatened to attack. They're the same ones that gathered armies in the distance. They're the same ones who had done everything they could to stop the building of the wall up to this point. So what would you believe when suddenly there's a change in their tone and they're like, you know what, maybe you're not such a bad guy, Nehemiah. Let's just talk. Well, what did Nehemiah say? They wanted to do me harm. He's not fooled by it. And the reason is that he has anchored himself to the truth through this entire process. Anchor yourself to the truth. When a spiritual battle starts, when Satan comes against you, uh, just and, and there's this darkness, there's this confusion, there's, there's a kind of a sense of anxiety and you don't know why, truth is what is going to save the day. Every single time. Because truth tells us what we're hearing is a lie. But it's only truth that can expose the lie. That's it. It's only truth that can do that. And so what was the truth? Nehemiah spoke it all the way back in Nehemiah 2.20. What did he say about Sanballat and, and Tobiah and Geshem? What did he say? He says, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Now, has anything happened to change that truth to this point? Nothing. So the fact that they want to come and talk now, it's like, what do we have to talk about? We have nothing to talk about. You've been trying to stop everything we're doing. You've been against us this whole time. Now you want to make peace. For what purpose? There's no reason for this. And so he says they wanted to do me harm. And so when we are experiencing a spiritual battle in our lives, there are three things that we have to be aware of. We've got to watch for it. We've got to know because this is Satan uses these almost every time. 
and that is diversion, division, and deceit. Diversion, division, and deceit. Okay, and we see diversion at the very beginning of this. In verses 2 and 3, he says, come, let us meet in the plains of Ono. You remember that? Well, the plains of Ono were 20 miles north. Now, for us today, you know, 20 miles is a, you know, a drive to Lee Summit. Then, that was a couple of days journey. You didn't just up and go 20 miles away on a whim. And so they're thinking, you know what, we'll get him out here. We'll get him separated from everybody else. We'll, we'll divert his attention. And while he's gone, the work will stop. And it's just all a, a big ruse to keep them from finishing. And Nehemiah recognizes it. And I love his response. It's, it's a wonderful one that we all need to learn at different times in life. What did he say in verse 3? And he says, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Now, I don't know about you, but that is actually a bit of an insulting response. You're not worth my time. I'm doing something important, and it's more important than meeting with you, Sanballat, and Tobiah, and Geshem, and the rest of you. You see, the important thing here for us to learn is that sometimes the enemy engages in things that are not worth one second of your time. Don't give it your energy. Don't give it a second thought. Don't stop what you're doing for God. As you are pursuing a vision from God, Satan is going to try over and over and over to divert you away from it. And it may even be something that's good, but it's not the great thing that God has you doing. And sometimes our response simply has to be, no. No, I'm not going to consider it. It's not worth my time. And I'm not going to give it the energy that you want me to give it. Because it will take me away from the vision God has given me. And so he's trying to, to divert everything away. Now, these men were not honorable and they had no part in what was happening. And because Nehemiah knew that truth, he knew these guys have nothing to do with the future of Jerusalem. They have nothing to do with the building of the wall. They have nothing to do with what God is doing with the people here. They have nothing to do with this. So why waste time engaging them? Just ignore it. Now, what did they do? They kept asking. Don't you find that interesting? The first answer comes back, I'm doing a great work, I can't come. And what do they do? They just send it again. Just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. You know why? Because Satan will wear us down with that if we don't stick to the truth. If we don't remember the truth that God has given us about what he wants us to do, eventually we'll cave. In the Old Testament, there's a story of someone who allowed this kind of diversion to work, and his name was Samson. He knew the truth, right? He knew. He knew he had had a Nazarite vow. He knew he had violated every part of that Nazarite vow, except for one. What was the last part that he hadn't violated? Cutting his hair. And yet Delilah keeps asking over and over, what's the source of your strength? What's the source of your strength? What's the source of your strength? And attacks keep happening on the other side. And he keeps lying, he keeps lying, he keeps lying, but eventually he gives in because it says she wore him down. <laughs> Do you realize in a spiritual battle, that is one of the goals, is simply to wear us 
down. And you know what wears us down? Engaging it. Nehemiah said, I'm not even dealing with it. He says, I've got something more important to do. No. And he went on with the work. He simply ignored it. He refused the diversion that Satan had sent him. The second thing we got to look for is division. If he can't divert us, then he will divide us. And when I say divide us, I mean he'll divide the people from the work. He will divide the people from each other. Whatever division he can sow, he will do it. And it should be the vision that unites us. And so we should be able to look at the work ahead of us. And when Satan starts his business of trying to divide, we can say, you know what? I'm not getting involved in this because it's going to set me against the work God has for me. And so what does he do? In in verses 6 and 7, it says, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king, King Artaxerxes of the Persian Empire, will hear of these reports. So come, let us take counsel together. Now this is the Nehemiah's version of anonymous sources. Okay? They're just making stuff up now. They literally are just creating ways to try to to do this. But I guarantee in that time with the Persian Empire... Even being rumored to be putting together any kind of rebellion, you didn't want to be on that radar. (laughs) That king was not going to like that. Like, he didn't want to hear, hey, you know what? These people want to rebel against you and don't want to serve anymore. They don't want to pay their taxes. That would get you killed in a hurry. And so this is not just some, you know, left-field kind of thing. This is a genuine concern that if it's believed, there's probably a lot of people in Jerusalem that would drop their, their trowel and they'd stop working and be like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. I am not in rebellion. I want to live, okay? And so this is very much a tactic that is meant to divide the people and stop the work. Because some are going to be labeled now, some are not. What's going to happen? And, and what does he say? He says, it's reported among the nations. Word's kind of spreading. Everybody's saying it. Who's saying it? This guy. That's it. But they say it's, you know, the nations are saying it, and Geshem says it too. He's, he's trying to add validity to this. What does he say? He says, no such thing is happening. You're making it up. And he goes back to the work. Notice how much Nehemiah just refuses to engage at this point. Before, when it was the threats, he would engage. What was it? He's like, yeah, let's put swords on people. Let's, I mean, he was preparing everybody. He was responding immediately to real threats that were there. But the spiritual battle is a little different. Because the spiritual battle is all about the heart and the mind. And that's why we get so confused by it sometimes. Because the heart and the mind... They're easily misled. You know, I see a guy standing in front of me with a sword wanting to attack. I don't have to interpret that very, very long to get to the truth. This is a threat. But when the rumors start flying, when all of this kind of starts happening, 
You have to decide for yourself, don't you? How much weight do I give this? Is this true? What does it mean? And if Satan can get us in that conversation with him, he wins. Because he's been defeating man from the beginning with these types of conversations. Now, Nehemiah is a wise man. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of truth. So what does he say? He says, not true. And he goes on. Hey, come, let's talk. No, I got nothing to talk to you about. I have nothing to talk to you about. And he refuses over and over to engage on the enemy's terms. And one of the reasons that Satan so much wants to divide, division is one of his chief weapons against God's people, is because he knows how important unity is. This wall would not be finished if they were not unified in its construction. If they were not unified in understanding how important it is, in how quickly it needs to be done, if they weren't willing to follow the leadership of Nehemiah and they were doing it and unified there, it, it wouldn't happen. But when the people of God are genuinely unified behind God's vision, what did Jesus say? He said, the gates of hell cannot stop it. There is no stopping God's church when it is obeying God. Empire after empire in this world has tried to stop it. And you know what? Those empires don't exist anymore. And the church continues on. Because unity is absolutely essential. In John 17, 20 and 21, Jesus is praying. This is his high priestly prayer as he's praying before the crucifixion. And he's been praying about the, uh, the apostles, uh, his disciples, and then he says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. He's praying for us directly right here. So this is a cool part of scripture where we know Jesus is directly praying for you. And he says, 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. When Jesus has a moment to pray for believers for all time that are going to believe on account of what the disciples taught us through the scriptures, their record of things, when he prays for you specifically, what is the first thing he prays for? Unity. That they, that we would be unified. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. That's it. He doesn't say the world's going to believe because we're, you know, better people or we're smarter people or our theology is 100% in agreement all the time. Or What does he say? He says it's our unity that the world is going to look at and go, I think there's something to this Jesus guy. I think there's something to this because these people refuse to be divided because these people are one and they worship this guy Jesus and they follow him and they follow him together and it's amazing that type of unity draws people in and then the third thing we've got to watch out for is just outright deceit lies remember Jesus called Satan the father of lies 
and we have to be ready to deal with them. We can't be knocked off center because somebody told a lie. Okay, what, what happens? Well, here in verses 10 through 13, we have false prophets arise. Now, do false prophets still exist today? Absolutely. People who will take the name of God and the cause of God and the vision of God and twist it for their own gain, twist it so that it serves some other purpose than what God sent. And Satan will use that so long as we're willing to listen, he'll keep talking. And so what happens? It says, now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehedabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. So he's seen the threats. He's seen that they're there. What is it? It said none of them took off their clothes. They kept their weapon right with them when they slept. So is there anything new that's actually happening right here? No, except he's trying to add the weight of God onto it. God told me they're coming to kill you. He's trying to get him to panic. And so what does he tell Nehemiah to do? You know what? You just go ahead, go into the temple, close the doors, and lock yourself away so that you'll live, and then let everybody else finish the work. Go ahead and give in to fear and go lock yourself up. And I love his response. In verse 11, it says, But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? This is integrity on display right here. One, he says, I am the leader. I am here organizing this. I'm in charge. I'm not going to hide. I mean, he's, got a, he's a man of courage. He understands the risks, and he's willing to run it, and, and he's just not going to be distracted. But then he brings theology into it, and he says, could such a man as I go into the temple and live? He has too much honor for God to defame the temple by going into places he shouldn't. And he's too afraid of God to not do his job and lead the people and stand up and be brave. Isn't it amazing how the truth kept him from two different sins in one moment? Because he knew the truth, he refused to do both. He said, I've got two reasons for this. One, it's a sin for me to neglect the duties that I have. I'm not running away and hiding. And two, I'm not supposed to go into the temple like that. That's not my job. That's the, that's the priests. So if I go in there, God's going to kill me. And if I stay out here, God's going to protect me. I'm not going. See, that is what truth does for all of it. And he says, I will not go. And in verse 12, it says, And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Now, the first sign, I believe, that this uh, prophecy was false was how personal it became. Everything to this point has been about what? The nation 
the, the, the city. We're building it. We're all in this together. We're working together in this. There's unity with the people, and it's about protecting the people and building the wall. And suddenly this prophecy comes forward and it says, you, Nehemiah, you need to hide. You need to just go. That seems out of place. And why is that? Because Satan knows that we all, to a degree, want to think that everything is focused on us in some way. Our sinful nature is very self-centered. Now, I'm not saying we live in that place all the time, but, I mean, it, Satan knows that if he can get us to crack the door open to, whoa, this is really about me, and we lose sight of the big picture, we'll make selfish decisions thinking that they're justified. And that's what he was trying to get him to do here. Forget the work. Forget the people. Forget the responsibilities. You go hide and protect yourself. Now, Nehemiah's integrity was too great. His faith was too strong. And he just said no. And so one of the things that I love in this is how quickly these battles seem to end. Because make no mistake, this is a battle. As a as a, a false prophet comes and says, God told me this, there are decisions, there are emotions, there are things that have to happen right then. I mean, he's got to decide, is this true or not? He has to, to engage this in some way. But because he knows the truth, he ends it like that every time. He doesn't wait. Because if it was true over here, nothing has changed that truth. And so there's nothing to consider. And you see, what Satan wants to do is to get us more into our emotions than in his spirit. You thought I was going to say in our head, right? Our own head will lie to us too. He wants us guided by our emotions and our own logic rather than by his word. But if we will allow his word to guide us and set the standard and the truth for us, then when somebody comes along who is not of God and says, hey, this is what God says, you'll be able to say, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. I know that's not true, and I'm not going to entertain it. I'm done with this conversation. And we aren't taken captive by it. And this is how spiritual battles work. Spiritual battles are typically not prolonged things. They happen quickly. Bam, bam, bam. And there it is. And Satan comes at us, and we have to make decisions, and they happen fast. And we either give in and fail, or we anchor ourselves to the truth, and we stand firm. And so what do we do? Well, in 1 John 4, 1, this, this scripture is amazing because he just tells us, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now, that command right there should be enough. Do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, how do we test the spirits? What is the test? The test is right here. This is what God has given us. The Bible is not you know, to unlock every and unravel every mystery that the universe could possibly present. Okay, it is a guide into truth that takes us to Jesus. Jesus said, the law and the prophets, they testify to me. It will lead us to Jesus, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit will guide us into truth. And so one, the test 
is does it agree with Scripture? Two, what, what does it do with Jesus? Does it believe that Jesus is the one and only way to heaven, that he died on the cross for your sins and was raised again on the third day? If it takes you away from that at all, guess what? False prophet, not the truth. Reject it. And don't discuss it. You see, I believe Satan, one of the things he wants to do is to get us to have a conversation with him. Notice Nehemiah doesn't have these conversations, does he? Not at all. He tells them, no. Should a man like me hide? No, not doing it. No, I'm doing too great a work. I can't come down. Go away. He refuses to engage because there's nothing to be gained from these conversations. What I like to picture this as is a person standing there who has made it known that they want to kill you. And you tell them no, and they say, well, let's talk about it. Well, no, there's nothing to talk about. Now, you do know Satan wants to destroy you, right? Everything he does is with the express purpose and intent of destroying you. And if he's got to do it one small compromise at a time, he will. He'll be patient. But everything he does is with the point of destroying you, your family, your church. That's what he wants to do. And he'll lie to you over and over. And so guess what? We don't need to have that conversation with him. We just tell him no, and we go on, and we fulfill the vision that God has given us. And so when we enter into the spiritual battle, and I mean this wholeheartedly, don't panic. When spiritual battles start in your life, don't panic. Okay, what do we know about Satan? He is the father of lies. He's going to come at you with lies. He's going to come at you with more lies than you ever thought. He is going to come at you with, with spiritual-sounding words that, that might be plausible in some alternate universe. But the whole goal is to distract you and get you to listen to his lies and believe them over the truth. And so he's also going to paint a picture of things that aren't true. And when I say he's coming at you with lies, that's what I mean. He's going to say, look, the whole world around you is falling apart. Look, everybody doesn't like you. Look, you're, you failed at everything. How could you possibly call yourself a, a Christian? How could you possibly lead that ministry? Because look at your life. And he's going to exaggerate faults. And he's going to lie to you at every single step. Every step. And if we anchor ourselves to the truth, we can look at it and say, well, no, I'm not qualified to lead that ministry because it's about God and not about me. But if he's called me to it, then you know what? He'll get me through it. And that's enough. So thanks, but no thanks, Satan. I'm not having this conversation. God's vision is more important than, than my feelings right now. Because when we panic... We make impulsive decisions, we make selfish decisions, we make decisions that are not based on faith. And we have this story, I know many people know it, but we're going to go back through it. In the book of Matthew, in chapter 14, in verse 25, we read about Jesus walking on water out towards the boat. And it says, and in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. 
But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, rightfully so, and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, what was this failure from Peter? Peter catches a lot of flack over this, but I'm I'm actually pretty impressed with Peter here, because one, he got out of the boat. Most of us would be the ones in there like, you're crazy, dude. That's a guy walking on water. That ain't right. You've been a fisherman your whole life. You know what happens if you go overboard in the middle of a storm like this. But Peter's like, hey, if it's you, call me out. Now, what is that? That is a God-given vision now. When, when Jesus says, come to me, that is a God-given vision of walking on water. Now, what did I tell you? There's no such thing as a safe vision from God. There's no such thing as a comfortable vision from God. There's no such thing as a vision that's going to fit right into our little square of how we think the world works. That's not how God works. And so there is a vision to be fulfilled here. And Peter starts walking. He gets out and he's walking on water. Now, I got to think, like, what does this feel like? You know, for a while, he's got to think, this is pretty cool. He's walking out there on it. But then what? It, there's a phrase that to me is just amazing. It says, he saw the wind. You can't see the wind. It says he saw the wind and became in the waves and became terrified. You know what he did see were the effects of the wind around him. You can't see the wind. Which means he had to interpret on his own what was happening. He had to go back to his normal, rational way of thinking where suddenly what he's doing is impossible while he's doing it. Now, I don't know about you, but while you're in the middle of doing it, you start thinking differently. But he didn't. It says he saw the wind. He allowed the circumstances around him to dictate reality to him when reality was something that was far better. I mean, it was so much more amazing. He's walking on water to Jesus. But he allowed himself to be distracted, and he panicked. He made a decision in a moment that was not in line with the truth that he was experiencing, and he knew. He knew the truth because he already asked, look, if that's Jesus and he's walking on water, he can make me walk on water. Guess what? There was truth. Had he anchored himself to that truth completely, he doesn't sink. But he allowed himself to be diverted from the truth. And he allowed himself to panic. And so here's what we do in the midst of this. If we don't panic, then that means we focus on faithfulness. Now, this is not a legalistic, try harder, do more kind of list. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say focus on faithfulness, I mean when the spiritual battle begins... We start to focus on the things that we know God wants from us. And this is where the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 gives us the armor of God 
you know, we talk about it all the time, but I think we miss the point. The armor is about the battle. And in the middle of the spiritual battle, what does he say to focus on? Well, listen, in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So it's about his strength, not ours. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, i.e. the lies, of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, what is it he told us to focus on? What gets us through the battle? Salvation, righteousness, truth, a readiness to obey, which is fulfill the vision, which means move forward in obedience. Be ready to obey. Okay, a readiness to obey the word of God, faith, and prayer. That's it. Those are the, that is what gets you through the spiritual battle successfully. What does he say? He says, after you've done all this, what are you going to be doing? You'll keep standing. Satan will not be able to move you. You will stand. Does that mean the battle won't happen? No, it's coming. I mean, that's just resign yourself to the fact that Satan is going to attack. He is going to attack you. He is going to try to deceive you. He's going to try to divide people. He's going to try to divert you away from what God wants. Those spiritual battles are real and they do happen, but we know what to do. We focus on faithfulness by focusing on salvation, righteousness, which is right doing, truth, a readiness to obey, the word of God, faith, and prayer. When we focus there, we can't lose. You get that? We can't lose. That's why Paul uses it as armor of God for a battle, because he's like, when you do this, when this is what your life becomes about, when the battle happens, he can't touch you. You will withstand what's going on. And it'll keep the enemy from getting a foothold. And look, that's what Satan is looking for all the time is simply a foothold. Give me something. And I'll turn it into destruction. That's what his phrase is. Give me something. Just give me something. And you see that with Nehemiah. What are they doing? They're trying everything they can now. Hey, we want to get along. Why don't you come on out here and talk? Now I got nothing to say to you. Well, you know what? There's word out there that that, that you're you know forming a rebellion, that you're you're trying to fortify your people again, want to be king. We should really talk about this. No, you're making stuff up. That's not true. Go away. Okay, well, we'll up it even more. False prophet. Hey, God told me that you're, you're going to die in your sleep. They're going to kill you. You should go hide in the temple. What? That's, that's, that's crazy talk. I'm the leader. I'm not going to hide. And besides, I can't go in the temple anyway. I'm not a priest. 
so I'm not going into the inner courts of the temple where I'm not supposed to be. God will kill me if I do that. You see how quickly those battles end because he sticks to the truth? Because he is committed to righteousness? Because he's ready to serve? The armor of God is on full display in Nehemiah's life in this spiritual battle. And we see how quickly he wins the battles because of it. And so I want to ask you today, do you recognize diversion, division, and deceit when the enemy is using them against you? Do you see it? Do you recognize it? Are you looking for it? Not to, to, to blame other people or look or anything like that. It's just do you recognize a spiritual attack when it's happening so that you know I've got to hold to the truth. And if I hold to the truth, then this isn't going anywhere. Nothing will come of it. And then finally, do you trust God to get you through the battle and to accomplish his vision? Too many times I think too many of us, and, and I'll raise my hand on this, when the battle starts, we think somehow I've got to, like, take more control of it. Instead of just trusting God that, you know what, if I rely on the truth, if I just focus on faithfulness, he can't touch me. We want to take over in our own strength, and Satan says, oh, I got you now. I got you in your own strength. Now I can make you anxious. Now I can make you worry. Now I can make you make a bad decision. Now I can manipulate you. But if we trust God to get us through, that you know what? If he has a vision he wants us to accomplish, guess what? Nothing can stop that vision from happening if we will be faithful to it. That's what Jesus meant when he said that, that the gates of hell will not, will not win over the, the church of God. They will not overcome the church, that it's just going to continue forward because nothing can stop God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. God, thank you that you have shown us how to withstand the spiritual battles of life. God, thank you that you have given us examples like Nehemiah to look to in the way he handles these battles, God, that he isn't shaken, he isn't fearful, he is decisive because he knows the truth. God, teach us and help us to be like that in our own lives, God. God, grant us wisdom to be able to recognize our enemy's attacks when they come. God, grant us strength to be able to stand not in our own strength, but your strength. To follow you. And God, we just pray, Lord, as we move forward as a church, as we restart Sunday school, as we start these small groups, God, this is your vision and it's your church. And so, God, we pray that you move us forward. God, that we would unify around your vision in your ways, that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.